Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. No getting around this. No sugarcoating this. No spin here. Watching that game last night here in SoCal, watching the Rams and what happened to them, that was a straight catastrophe for the Rams in prime time last night. Like, whatever you want to say about them and the Rams act last night, it would be fair. There is no such thing as an overreaction to what I saw last night. That was a straight disaster all the way around for the Rams. I mean, seriously, the hell happened to this team. The hell happened to this team. They go all in, they gamble virtually everything they have, and they crapped out big time again. Back-to-back hospital jobs. You know, we are talking about a team that made that big, big move for Matthew Stafford. Then that big move for Von Miller. Then they brought in ODB. We've been talking about this for weeks. We've been talking about this for months. All bleeping in. Like, one thing to lose to the Tennessee Titans. Like, that'll happen. Happens to us all. The Titans are a pretty good team, right? I'm not really sure how they keep doing it, but they keep doing it. So that'll happen. They're a pretty good team. And they did bully the Rams in their own house. But you can let that slide. Like, no NFL team, no matter how good they are, is going to win every single week. Everybody. Everybody gets punched in the face at some point during the season. That'll happen. That said. However, to get punked by the Titans without Derrick Henry on Sunday, and then show up last night and get worked by the 49ers, yeah, that's not one of those things that will happen. In fact, that can't happen. You cannot have back-to-back dumps in your pants. If you're the Rams. You have a big dump in your pants. You have a big dump in your pants. You don't want that back-to-back. You can't have that. Not in prime time. Not if you want to be considered Super Bowl contenders. Again, I've spent the last several weeks telling anybody and everybody from this desk, from the NFL Today studios in New York City, that the Rams are going all in. They're They're the ultimate L.A. team making enormous moves and looking to win right here, right now, and right in their own house. And then they do that? I guess what I'm getting at is this. It's one thing to make yourselves look bad, but now you've made me look bad. This team is too good. This team is too talented. This team is too well coached. This team is too professional. This team is too dialed to do that. Or at least I thought so. But then they went and they did that last night. Whatever the hell that was. And yes, Frisco. Yes, Frisco. I will get around to giving the Niners credit when I'm done talking about the Rams. And whatever the hell happened to them. It's not just that they lost. It's how they lost. And it's not just that they lost to a 49ers team that had not won at home in more than a year. It's that they got absolutely rocked and humiliated by them. Like San Francisco did whatever the hell they wanted. And L.A. had no response, no resistance. They had nothing. They were eating punches and demanding more. L.A. had the ball to start the game. Great. Get into a rhythm. Maybe get Odell a few touches. Get the offense the hell out of the garage. Maybe open that thing up. Instead, this is what they did. Beckham back in there. Fake it to Henderson. Stafford has time. 
All sorts of time. Deep shot, middle of the field. Beckham was nowhere close. It is Jimmy Ward. Welcome back, Jimmy Ward for the 49ers. Picks off Matthew Stafford. We wondered about these two in communication, and we see it right off the bat in the first drive. Matthew Stafford is anticipating Odell Beckham to continue on this route. It's a broken play, and Matthew Stafford is buying time. When you get to this situation right here, he just put it up, and you see that's Odell Beckham there. He just stops on the route. ESPN on the call. Tell me one thing about that that was not terrible if you're a Rams fan. I mean, one thing to want to get the ball to Odell early but forcing it down the field like that in a double coverage on a ball that was five yards past him? I mean, for who? For what? Isn't that the very definition of the Odell dilemma? That you think at best he will lose interest, and at worst he'll just shut it down altogether if he doesn't get the ball. So in order to avoid all of that, you force it to him with disastrous results. I mean, right out of the box, when this dude's had almost no time at all to get on the same page with his quarterback, you take that shot. And, of course, San Francisco cashed that in. Not only cashed it in, but, again, the manner in which they did so. They go on a soul-snatching 18-play drive that swallowed up 11 minutes. And, again, the Rams couldn't do a damn thing to stop it. They couldn't get off the field against a team that they had not won at home this year. And then the drive ends with this. He gets the shotgun snap, a left tackle block. He throws in the end zone deep, leaping two-handed catch. Double team, touchdown Kittle. Touchdown San Francisco. They cash in on the Stanford interception. Westwood won on the call. So you think to yourself, all right, not good. Below not good. Only one drive, but again, a long-ass soul-snatching drive where they get punched in the face all the way down the field. Can't make a play, can't get off the field, but it's still just 7-0, right? The Rams can bounce right back. No, they can't, because a few minutes later, this happens. Shotgun snap, thigh high, throws a short pass, bobbled and dropped and picked up on a ricochet by Ward, the 20, far sideline, 15, broken tackle, 10, 5, far sideline, he's in! San Francisco has scored again! A pick, and the second for Ward! A pick six for a second consecutive game on Ram quarterback Matthew Stafford. Two San Francisco touchdowns in 65 seconds. Man, unfortunate Woo, right there. Wow. Yeah, I'll say, woo, wow. Somebody pulled Jimmy Ward off the Rams because he was Man, killing them last right night. Now. All right, all right. So let me take a moment and say something about the 49ers. Nothing but respect for the 49ers for how they showed up last night. They had just been thrashed by the Cardinals the week before. A Cardinals team that didn't have Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins, A.J. Green. They lost Chase Edmonds in the first quarter. That was the team that Frisco lost to last week. Nobody would have blamed them if they no-showed again last night. Hell, I'll admit it. I will admit it. I pretty much expected them to not show up last night. The way this season has gone... It's not the way anybody expected it to go for San Francisco. It would not have been surprising to me if they shut it down and they went one, two, three, Cancun. But they didn't. They showed up last night and they broke LA's face. The old 49ers were in the building last night. The guys we expected all season long shattering the Rams' glass jaw. Man, they ran that ball right down LA's throat. And their defensive line dominated LA's offensive line. 
So that's not going to make those questions go away about whether or not the Rams are tough enough up front. Remember yesterday we had this conversation, Jim Trotter and I? Jim Trotter had made that point, especially after that loss to the Titans, whether or not they were physical enough up front. And then they got out physicaled the entire game yesterday. But it wasn't just the physical mistakes either, right? They were making mental errors left and right. The Rams were dropping passes, a bunch of them on third down, dumb penalties, bad timing, and inability to block and tackle. Like, it was all on display. Again, who the hell were these guys? Totally unrecognizable. Anything that could go wrong, the Rams made sure that it did go wrong. They looked like Jacksonville out there. Man, and don't even get me started on what the hell this was. Good snap, fake, and it's picked What the hell was the this? Will throw to the tight end, and the ball caught on the near sideline and grabbed on the play by Blanton, who spun and was brought down by D.J. Jones at the 15 on a fake. The punter, Johnny Hecker, got the snap, spun, rolled to the near side, threw a short pass to the tight end, who caught it. He got only two yards. They needed eight, and on downs, it goes back to San Francisco. Oh, so close. Play call right there when you're in fourth and long like that. Not a fan of that call right there. At all. At all. Like, that play looked bad when it started, and it looks even worse right now. I love coaches being aggressive. I love them going for it on fourth down. But there's nothing to like about that call. Kendall Blanton was short of the sticks no matter what. And then there's that issue of taking the ball out of your franchise quarterback's hands and putting it into your punter's hands for a huge play like that. Then again, was that even the franchise quarterback? Because it looked like Jared Goff had jumped into a Stafford gamer and somehow snuck onto the field. Hell, I didn't like anything at all last night from the Rams. It felt like a preseason game, not a regular season game in mid-November involving an alleged Super Bowl contender. Man, they were off. And they better find a way to turn it back on quickly if they're going to be who everybody thought they were. You can't go out and make moves like the ones they made for Von Miller, Odell Beckham Jr., and then show up like that. So where does that leave them? Where does that leave the Rams? That's actually the wrong question. A better question would be, where does that leave me? Like, I hate to personalize this, but let's make it about me for a minute. I'm not looking to make it about me, but let's, let's make it about me. I don't have an issue with you making yourselves look bad, but I do have an issue with you making me look bad. Pull your heads out. Use that buy to get right. Then come back out and prove me and the rest of the world right. You owe it to yourselves, and most of all, you owe it to me. You owe it to both of us, but mostly you owe it to me because that was embarrassing and humiliating to both of us, but mostly me because I'm the one who's been banging that drum so hard. Yeah, I know. You were missing Robert Woods, except Woods was not going to stop the run. 44 carries. The Niners' offense would have even impressed Herb and his 250-250 goal. 250-250. And how about Debo and his playmaker chain? Man, you got to get that guy off the Rams too. He always kills them. Always. Ever since Aaron Donald made this statement last year. Debo Samuel, a unique player. How do you game plan for a guy like that? Who? Uh, Debo Samuel. Who's that? Uh, the receiver. Uh... Who's that? Like Aaron Donald is incredible. Like one of the greatest ever. Who? You think he kind of wants that one back? Who's that? 
You mean the guy who turns into Jerry Rice, T.O., J.J. Stokes, John Taylor, all rolled into one when he sees you and your teammates? Who's that? Who's Debo Samuel? Who's that? Not a good take. Not a good question. Is there a worse nightmare for SoFi if the Rams and the Chargers somehow both miss the postseason altogether? What the hell are they going to do with that place until the Super Bowl? Never mind that the home tenants are not going to host as was the plan. What will they do with that $5 billion building if both those teams miss? Like swap meets? No, this isn't Fontana. This isn't Santa Fe Springs. You can't go all swap me with that place. You can't go all drive-in movie theater with that place. What, the fanciest flea market ever? Damn, ram it, man. The Lakers are laughing at you. I'm not <laughs> laughing, though. There's nothing funny about that. What the hell happened to these guys? All right, so from the very first moment I sat in my ex chair, my body immediately went, ah. This is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. <laughs> I mean, like I never actually looked forward to sitting in my office chair until I got my X chair. That's how amazing the X chair is. Can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? Yeah, my X chair can. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X chair. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons I love my X chair, and now I can't wait to be at work. Sometimes, even if I'm not working, I just sit down and I kick it in my X chair, you know, to get that feeling. So take my advice. Try X-Chair for yourself, risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you will never go back. Go to xchairrome.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, R-O-M-E.com. Or call 1-844-4X-Chair and get 100 bucks off your order. X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. That's xchairrome.com, xchairrome.com. Jeremy Chin is my guest. Jeremy, it's good to have you back. How are you? Hey, what's up, Jim? How you doing, man? Good, Thanks good, dude. It's good to have you back. Thanks so much. So you're coming off that win on the road against Arizona. As I mentioned, Jeremy, you're back to 500. A lot of positive energy and vibes in the locker room, it would seem like. How would you describe the mood around the team and the outlook and the mindset going forward now? Uh, the mood's been positive. I, I think it's always been positive. Um, you know, I, I feel like this is a hungry team. Even even when our back's against the wall, I feel like we always, we always you know, had, had ourselves left in the mix. So, uh, but, you know, it, it's good being back at 500, getting a good win this weekend, just keep on moving forward. All right, so you had a game where it was 23 nothing when you went to the locker room at halftime. Considering where this team had been the previous month, how big of a statement did you guys make in that first half on Sunday? I think it was huge. I mean, we played we played complimentary football. It's probably one of the, the first times we really played it um, this season. So just being able to do that on the road uh, in a hostile environment, I think that was a, a, a big encouraging uh, statement for the you know the organization for the fan base. Jeremy Chin is joining us. What about earlier in the week? What was your reaction, Jeremy, when you found out the team was bringing Cam Newton back? Uh, it was pretty exciting. Um, you know, just growing up watching watching Cam Newton just play 
uh, you know, I was I was hoping, you know, excited for him to come in and, you know, hopefully help us win and, and you know, affect us that way as well as, you know, him just his presence. But, uh, you know, it, it's been great so far. You know, I'm glad you mentioned his presence. I was going to say, like, he came in, he made a couple of plays early on, and that was great. But I'm curious, when you have somebody like that, and he's kind of like a force of nature, he's got this personality, like, what was his presence like for the team around the locker room, practice, like your early impressions of Cam, what have they been like? Uh, we've been teammates for about five days now, and he's just been a great teammate already. Uh, his, ener- his energy is contagious. You feel it all the way around the building. We're talking to Jeremy Chin. Not only that, but you also have Stephon Gilmore, who arrived in a trade with the Patriots. How about him? What's it been like to play with him so far, and what does he bring to the team? Uh, same same type of thing. I mean, he, he's not as loud as Cam, obviously, but... Uh, <laughs> No, nah, he, he's he's such he's so knowledgeable with the game. I can I can ask him anything. He gives his, his advice. Uh, he always has a, a great outlook on you know offenses and what they're trying to do and his perspective. Uh, he's been playing the game at such a high level for so long. So any any time you can surround you guys yourself with guys like that, it it only helps. Jeremy Chen is joining us. Like specifically, I can actually use an example. He had that INT against the Falcons in his first game. You said afterwards, quote, he's so smart out there. Really, his interception, that was just his knowledge. It started out Wednesday, and it just kept going and running that route. Can you lay that out for me? What did you mean by that? Yeah, there was a couple routes uh, that Atlanta practiced. That was, I think, his first week practicing with us. But um, like he's, he's like almost – Breaking, breaking on the routes before the receiver is, and just like you know, running underneath routes and things like that, and um, and you you can see, like versus certain formations and you know certain stems by the inside receiver, like what number what the number one receiver is running, and his knowledge for that is just it's above anybody else's that I've, that I've ever seen. So, uh, just kind of getting getting his brain a little bit, like why why is he thinking certain things, and um, you know why he's able to slip certain routes with a safety over top, and he just knows. You know, we we can we can work together. He knows if I'm over top of him or whatever. So, uh, nah, he's his that that interception definitely came from practice. What an asset to have. Jeremy Chin is joining us. So, what's it mean to go into every single game knowing that if the offense does put some points on the board, you're going to win? Like, how much confidence does that give you guys on defense and really the entire team knowing that that if the offense does do what it's supposed to do, you're going to come away with a win? Yeah, there's a ton of confidence there. You know, defensively, we try not to pay attention too much what the offense is doing. Uh, but, I mean, complimentary football is everything. So, you know, we feed off their energy as well. We know that they feed off of ours. So, uh, any time we can go hand-in-hand, hand, it it's that much better. Jeremy Chin is joining us once again. So, now, overall, you're seventh in the NFC. You're right back in this thing right now. What's your mindset as you approach the rest of the season? Yeah, I mean, the big thing is going 1-0 this week, taking one week at a time. We don't want to look too far ahead, uh, but we know every every goal that we have is still in front of us. All right, so earlier this year, you and I talked about the tradition of wearing the jersey of a Carolina legend to home games and then autographing them and auctioning them off. For the game against the Patriots, you broke out a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fire suit, and then you came to the game in that. It was an amazing look. How did that feel, and then where did people go to bid on it? Yeah, um, no, that that was one of my favorite ones. I think I wear it every time of the year. It was a little cold that day, so <laughs> that really kept me warm. But, um, no, nah, I'm signing them. The, the other athlete is signing them, and then we're auctioning off. It'll be on my website. All the auctions are on my website, thejeremychin.com, and uh, the auction's up for a week. And then I got everybody can bid on there. And then uh, most of the jerseys have been sent off already. But, uh, yeah, it's been a really cool deal. 
It is a cool deal. So do you let us in, like, for instance, can you say what you're going to wear on this Sunday against Washington, or is that just not – it's not not getting out there until the day of? Uh, usually doesn't get out until about Friday or Saturdays. I can't tell you now. <laughs> I can't tell you now. Stay tuned. All right, so you're talking about one game at a time, one day at a time. I understand this. You've got Washington on Sunday. What are your early thoughts on that matchup? Uh, I mean, they just came off a big win on Sunday. They they just beat Tampa Bay, so um, you know it's going to be a good matchup. They have you know obviously Terry McLaurin. They've got weapons on the offensive side of the ball, uh, so you know I'm excited. I'm excited to go in and and just compete. Like a lot of you, I work out pretty much every single day, and I get my cardio on. And you need to have workout gear. There is nothing like getting some new workout gear to motivate you. And I found some, and I love it. Ten thousand. These shorts are good for any kind of fitness that I do. 10,000 makes the highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable training shorts that I've ever worn. And I've been wearing their 7-inch interval short with the liner and their versatile shirt. I love this product. It motivates me to want to get my workout in. A ton of great features too, like silver ion for odor protection, no bounce pockets, Breathable and lightweight shell fabric, no bounce foam pocket, an optional liner that is very comfortable and prevents chafing. The versatile shirt is the perfect workout shirt. Lightweight, breathable, durable, and a team of over 200 athletes test their gear to ensure the perfect design, fabric, trims, and fit. Plus over 10,000 five-star reviews, free shipping and free returns, and a lifetime guarantee. 10,000 makes unbelievable product and is offering our listeners 15% off their first purchase. So go to 10,000.cc, enter the code ROAM, and receive 15% off your purchase. That is 10,000.cc, enter the code ROAM. So again, the NFL is wide open, like any given Sunday, right? So who, in fact, is the best team right now in the NFC? Who is the team to beat in the NFC, especially after seeing the Rams get curb stomped again last night? It might actually be Dallas. It might actually be Dallas. And that's not some contrived angle for some hot factory, hot take factory that airs in the AM. I mean, that's legit. They may be the ones to beat because there is a hell of a lot to like about Dallas. Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb. Amari Cooper, a running game. They've got the number one scoring offense in the league. And that defense, which was a total joke last year, is so much better this time around. They've got actual playmakers on that side of the ball. Micah Parsons, essentially unblockable right about now. Trayvon Diggs has been a hoover in the secondary. Like, they've got a lot of what you look for in a Super Bowl contender. So I know you're probably thinking, hey, Rome, if you want to crown their ass... Crown their ass. Crown their ass. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, and there certainly is something keeping me from doing so. So what's keeping me from crowning their ass other than there's a lot of football still to be played? Or what's keeping me from saying, you know what? They're the ones to beat right now in that conference. Two words. Mike McCarthy. That's why. Two more words. Monkey butt. Not even emotional support monkey butt. Straight monkey butt. Monkey buttocks. Thank you, Alvy. Monkey buttocks. So why am I talking about Mike McCarthy and monkey butt? What is monkey butt? 
because my guy went all motivational speaker with it yet again. You remember last year when he tried to get his team all fired up by busting up watermelons, Gallagher style? One of the lamest motivational ploys ever. I mean, what Cowboys player wasn't going to go to war for Big Mike after seeing him smash a few melons? Then again, this is the same dude who spent training camp hyping Austin Powers. Like, the big fellow is really cool like that. This dude knows exactly what buttons to push in a room full of alphas. Yeah, well, he was deep in his own bag once again. Instead of me trying to explain it, I'll let Tom Pelissero do it instead. Mike McCarthy always has different motivational tools that he brings out at specific moments where he feels like you need it during the season. Last year, it was the Gallagher routine, smashing watermelons in a team meeting the night before they beat the Vikings. Well, this past week, coming off that ugly performance against Denver, McCarthy dubbed it R-A-W, meaning red-ass week. In other words, get mad. Take it personally, then get out on the field and take it out on the Falcons. To reinforce that message, McCarthy actually had staff going around the locker room and handing out monkey butt. What is monkey butt? I'm glad you asked. It is an anti-chafing powder. It's got a variety of different uses. For instance, if you're sore from, I don't know, getting your butt kicked like they did last week, get yourself some monkey butt. Well, the Cowboys players got a kick out of that. They certainly got the message, went out there and did their thing yesterday. I wonder if they got a kick out of that. Like Tom Pellicero is an amazing reporter, but I, I wonder if they got a kick out of that. Like, this is now my raw, red-ass week. Like, I'm not even a member of the Cowboys. And I didn't get my ass kicked on the field like they did. But I guarantee my personal ass is redder than any of theirs because that has got to be the dumbest motivational tactic ever. Imagine being an NFL player. And you're trying to get ready to play a game of violence, a game of speed, a game that is the equivalent of countless car wrecks in a row. You're trying to get your body, your head, your mind right for the game. And this guy's walking around doling out monkey ass. Monkey butt. Get it? Monkey butt powder. It's an anti-chafing powder that you put in your butt when it gets red from the ass-kicking that the Broncos gave you. Get it? Like, hey, hey, yeah, yo, Dak, let me help you apply this monkey ass to your cowboy ass. And yes, I know that they did beat the Falcons on Sunday, but that's just it. They beat the Falcons. You know why they beat the Falcons? Not because of the monkey ass. They beat the Falcons because they're the Falcons and not because the big fella is some kind of legendary motivator. Literally, the only thing keeping me from saying that they're the ones to beat in the NFC right now is their coach. Because my man is running around looking to motivate grown-ass men by giving them monkey butt powder. Monkey butt. The hell do you go after that? The hell is next after that? Because you know he's got something in mind. You know he's going to break it out when they need it least. And then he'll do something weird like the clock management deal he had in Philadelphia earlier this year. Or that time where he couldn't even find the clock, which happened against the Chargers in week two. Or he's going to smash out some watermelons or hand out some monkey butt. Monkey butt. Hey, Cowboy fan, 
You go ahead and tell me the big fella's got everything under control. That a guy handing out monkey butt. Monkey butt. Because it's red ass week is actually a genius motivator of NFL talent and not some corny ass manager of the local radio shack trying to hit his sales quota. You tell me that. You tell me what's going to happen when he gets into the postseason and he's got to go up against somebody like, I don't know, Bruce Arians or Sean Payton or anybody else wearing a headset. Who are you going to give the advantage to? That guy or old monkey butt? Monkey butt. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. I'm telling you, Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. Good, good stuff. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, clones, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Not to Old Trapper. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Dan Shaughnessy back. My guy, Dan, what's going on? How are you? Oh, it's good to talk to you, Jim. Been a while. I miss you. I miss you too, Dan. It is so good to have you back. When you and I last spoke was early in the pandemic. So first, before we talk about the book, bring me up to date. How you doing? How is your life right now? Life is good. No complaints. It flies in the face of being a sports writer. I'm trying not to complain, so I am not complaining. Everything's going very swell right now. Good. Good to hear it. All right. So Wish It Lasted Forever is about the Larry Bird Celtic years and your life covering them. It's always tempting to say that things were better way back then, but then you and I come off as bitter old guys, and we don't want to be like that. (laughs) But in a lot of ways, things were better way back then. But let me ask you, how different was it covering the Celtics in the 80s versus covering the NBA right now? Oh, man, it's night and day, and it's nobody's fault, Jim, so I can't be the old guy, get off my lawn guy, but it's evolution, okay? No one's complaining. It's just the way it's evolved. I mean, the players today, they don't need the media. They can interact you know, directly with their fan bases, social media platforms, etc. In the old days, the newspapers mattered. There was a you know, small posse of beat reporters, and the league was small. It was a small league. When I came into it, the NBA Finals were still on tape delay. You know, 17 out of 23 teams losing money. It was drug problems. David Stern hadn't yet come into power. And Larry Bird and Magic Johnson just came into the league and kind of rescued it in 1979. And then, of course, Michael Jordan comes in in 84, and it goes to the next level. And David Stern makes it a global entity, all-powerful. When I take over the beach, Jim, I'm with the Celtics, you know, and we really live with them. You know, it's commercial flights, hotels, bars, lobbies, waiting for bags together, buses, all that stuff. And we were staying in the Holiday Inn in Richfield, Ohio, to play the Cavs. And, you know, like there's snow coming through the seams of the windows and the shades are fluttering and the wind's blowing outside. This was, this was not your five-star hotel, and there were no green flies, no, no women in search of the athletes, no autograph hounds, no nothing, just bored businessmen and a small group of basketball players and writers. That's how we traveled. That is incredible. No green flies, holiday inns, wind <laughs> coming through the cracks. You're traveling with the team commercially. You're having breakfast with the team, maybe some light, late-night beers, I would imagine. This book is called Wish It Lasted Forever. It's out today. Dan Shaughnessy is my guest. So, Dan, how would you describe your relationship with Larry Bird? Well, Larry was uh, he was slow to trust anyone, didn't like new people, suspicious of everyone. I had this, this is kind of a funny scene early in the, in the, in the, in the book where, you know, he, we're in the Holiday Inn. I'm at the loser end of the bar. He and Quinn Buckner are at the other end. There's no one in the joint, night before their season opener against the Cavs. I send down a round of beers, and, and Larry says no. He rejects it. He doesn't want to be beholden to the new guy on the beat 
who's this guy trying to buy his way into our circle? It was a rejection not since high school I hadn't felt. It was like horrible. Uh, <laughs> but it, it got better. You know, he still kept me at arm's length. He'd say, they called me Scoop. And, you know, when I'd come in the locker room, he'd say, Scoop, do you ever notice how quiet it gets when you walk in here? And there was some truth to that because, as you know, you call me the Boston Hammer. I kind of had that reputation. And, and uh, you know, there was a little wariness about it. But over the years, you know, you're in the same spaces all the time. And he got, he got better at it. He really became kind of a media darling in our town because he told the truth. He was funny. He trash-talked. He was arrogant. And he loved basketball. And he loved his teammates. And he loved sharing the ball and playing that game that we, that we loved so much in the 80s. Dan Shaughnessy is joining us. What great insight. Now, when you talk about his trash talking, every few weeks, Dan, on social media, somebody posts a highlight reel of Bird or clips of guys talking about his trash talking, and then there's a whole new group of people who get introduced to him. As somebody who was there and experienced it firsthand, what was Bird like as a trash talker? Well, we lived it. So we, we sat next to the bench. Again, those seats that they sell for thousands of dollars now, the lowly media had those seats before the NBA figured out they could, they could make cash off that. So we're right there. We can hear it. The night that he torched Julius Irving, this, this would not have happened in Julius's prime, but the way that they aged out, Larry was in his prime when Doc was finishing up, and Larry was abusing him. He had like, I don't know, 35 or something. Doc was one for nine. And Larry's like, get somebody out here to guard me, old man. You can't guard me. Got bad, and there's a picture in the book, famous shot with they have each, each other's hands around each other's throats. I mean, Doc had heard enough and went for him. There was that kind of stuff. I remember Larry banking threes during, during warm-ups against the Knicks, and the trainer, Mike Saunders, said, what are you doing? And, you know, he'd get bored. He'd say, I'll do it in the game. You watch. If you give me five bucks. Sure enough, they're way ahead in the fourth quarter. He banks the three and runs by the Nick bench with his hand outstretched for the five bucks. I mean, he was able to, to hold these things in his head while he was playing. Dan Shaughnessy is joining us. He's got a brand new book out. It's out today. It's called Wish It Lasted Forever. So, Dan, like, it's connected to the trash talking, but what was Bird like, for those who don't know, as a competitor, and what motivated him to work and go as hard as he did? Well, he grew up poor, you know, rural Indiana. And, again, even within the state of Indiana, they don't get respect like the, the upper part of the state where Bloomington is in Indianapolis. And, you know, they don't think the ball's as good down there. So he starts off behind the eight ball and, you know, very poor, one of six kids, lost his dad at a young age, and had nothing. And his older brothers played, so he played. And um, he just wanted to be the best player on his high school team and kept growing, getting better. And then Bobby Knight recruits him. He goes to IU, but, you know, Kent Benson's big time in him, and no one's paying attention, and all the kids have nice clothes and cars. And he hitchhikes home. He never stays. He never plays a game for him, And that's why he was draft eligible after Indiana State his junior year. And he always abused those Big Ten guys when he got to the NBA, Phil Hubbard, you know, Benson, anybody who had disrespected his conference or, or his, his ball from southern Indiana, he wanted to get even with that. And he feared no one on the court ever. I talked to him about it. How do you get out there against these pogo sticks, James Worthy and these guys so much more skilled than you? He said, I never felt intimidated on a court. Guys would give me trash talk during layup lines pregame. At the end of the game, I'd say, I own your butt. And he did. Dan Shaughnessy is joining us. His book is called Wish It Lasted Forever. It is out right now. So, Dan, Michael Jordan scored 36 the first time he played in the Boston Garden. What did Bird make of Jordan, and what did he say about him after that first game? Great question. I can't believe you actually read the book. Way to go, Jim, because that's right. I couldn't believe I he did playing. it. It was a pedestrian game, and, you know, Jordan had all of his points, and the Celtics beat them, and it's 84-85. And, you know, the kid was the big deal. He was the bomb coming into the league that year, but 
I just thought he was rookie of the year. Larry, he pulled me aside. He said, that guy is going to be the greatest play you've ever seen. You wait. I'm like, and it wasn't like Larry to blow smoke. So I'm like, wait a minute, what? why are you doing this? And he said, no, you wait. You watch and see what happens. And sure enough, it started to grow. And he was never jealous about it. There was some jealousy about it in the league with, you know, with Jordan having his own brand, his own sneaker, and getting frozen out at the All-Star game. But Larry wasn't about that. He liked to see the game grow, and he was happy to kind of, you know, when he was ready, you know, hand over the crowd, the, the crown to uh, to Michael Jordan. We're talking to Dan Shaughnessy. Dan, I could talk to you about the Celtics forever, but before you go, I do want to ask you about Mac Jones. <laughs> you recently spoke to Bill Parcells about the rookie. What did Parcells say about Jones? It was interesting. I talked to him every now and then. I just called him last Friday, and he launched in. He, un, un, unprovoked, he started in on really like the Patriots, like what they're doing. He likes those games when they have time of possession the whole game, and they had had that the week before. And, and uh, I said, well, what's it like with the rookie quarterback? The only one Parcells had was, was Bledsoe, and, you know, different, you know, number one pick in the country, and they were 1-11 starting off. But he just said it's all about, you know, don't make mistakes, control the ball. He likes the way they're managed in the game. Don't try to have them do too much. Just pull it in, take the sack, whatever. Don't get hurt. And he just really said, I love the way they're going. They're going to win a lot of games the way they're going. And, of course, then they smoke the Browns 45-7. The kid completes 19 out of 23 passes. He's very accurate, Jim. You've seen. I mean, he didn't start that much in college just the last year, but he wins. He's accurate, has great pocket presence for a rookie, and who knows where this is going. I love the guy. I think the guy's unbelievable. I love everything about him, and I love the way they're playing right now. I could not be more impressed. Dan, what was it like? I mean, you've covered every type, every kind. What was it like to cover Parcells back in the day? <laughs> yeah, he intimidated a lot of guys, but he wanted you to give it back to him. So he respected that. And you know, Will McDonough was one of his besties, and Willie told him I was okay. So that gave me kind of the, the seal of approval. And, and you'd give it back to him. He loves baseball, so we could talk about baseball. He's a big sports fan. He golfs with Jim Cott in Florida all the time. And he's just, I just love the guy. He, he, he speaks the truth. He sees things. And he was one of the great team builders in the history of the NFL. He did it in like four different places, to take it from really bad to, to the heights. It did it every time. Hey, Dan, you know, because you appeared on JRIB so many times over the years, and we had so much fun when you would come on the program. Yeah. I actually only had one sit-down, because you know Parcells was not going to do a sit-down. Nope. Nope. He had a book, and I did a sit-down with him live, and I had never spoken to him before, and I was all hyped up for it, for, because to that point, you know you don't want to let him intimidate you, or he will just nope. crush you. I stood in, and I must have fired 30 questions at him, and he didn't answer even one of them. And as we went off the air, he gave me a fist bump. I had never felt so proud or felt like I had <laughs> earned anything in my life, like a fist bump from Parcells. You know what I'm talking about. That was a tough guy to deal with. Absolutely. You, you make it with him, you can make it anywhere. It's like that New York thing. And, and you know, not an easy mark, so, so good going. Dan, you mentioned Will McDonough. Will McDonough was a great journal and a tough, tough guy. What was he like? Well, Will McDonough grew up with Whitey Bulger in South Boston. That was legit. When the, when the Patriots would play the Chiefs, Will would visit Whitey in Leavenworth. When they'd play the Raiders, they'd visit him in Alcatraz. That stuff actually happened. And so he was trained to you know, hit first and ask questions later. He was street smart. He played every sport. He could relate to the athletes. He knew what, was, what he was seeing. It wasn't just what he was being told. He, he actually knew it. He saw it. And players related to him. And then later on, GMs and owners related to him. Also, revolutionary newspaper guy who became a television star giving commentary, you know, trading off his, his expertise and selling it to the networks. And now they all do it, so they should all be thanking Will McDonough for that. And he could handle himself now. That's not a guy you want to mess with. Raymond Claiborne, he punched out a defensive back. Can you imagine laying a finger on a defensive back? They, they scare the hell out of me. Willie 
decked Raymond Claiborne in the, in the 70s. A journo decked an NFL DB. It's an incredible story. <laughs> Listen, one last thought, Dan. You've always had a soft spot in your heart for baseball, but as you tweeted a few weeks back, quote, baseball, it is 9.43 Sunday night. The Braves and Astros have played three innings of Game 5, one hour and 30 minutes for three innings, a 4.30 pace. This is a problem, people. Clueless players see no problem as the sport slowly dies. That was a long tweet, but I want to read that. How worried are you for the future of that sport? Yeah, I love baseball, and you just cannot ask people to do this, and the old people are going to be not be replaced by younger generations of fans. I mean, guys like me are getting old and dying off, and there's not going to be people coming up to follow this. It doesn't lend itself to the fantasy and the betting and a lot of the stuff that, that, that people like today, but you've got to pick up pace of play. It, you cannot ask people to stay with a product for four hours on a nightly basis. It's too much to ask, and, and the players got to wake up and realize they've got to fix their habits and get this thing going. Dan, you're still a hammer. Man, you still have it. I, mean, I am really so pleased to talk to you and to see what you still bring to it. The fact that you've got another book out, Wish It Lasted Forever, it is out today. He is a sports columnist for the Boston Globe, somebody I admire greatly, and a good friend of the program. Dan, it is so good to get caught up with you, and I echo the sentiment. I miss you as well, my man. Great to have you back. Take care, pal. See you at the Super Bowl. You got it, Dan. Trade Pros. Ferguson is committed to making business with us the easiest part of your day. Ferguson.com is designed to help run your business from the office to the job site by making your day-to-day activities easier with 24-7 account access, unmatched online inventory, and on-the-go account management. And with our Pro Plus customer loyalty program, you can earn points with every online purchase, redeemable for merchandise, event tickets, trips, and more. Sign up today at Ferguson.com. Quarterback is Graham Mertz. Graham, it's good to have you on the show. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, dude. Good. Good to finally have you on the show. Nice to talk to you. Let me ask you about Northwestern. I know you're looking ahead, but Saturday, that was a game where you threw for more than 200 yards. You had a couple of TDs. The team rushed for nearly 270 yards. Everybody always talks about wanting to have that balanced attack. So how pleased were you with the performance from the offense overall, top to bottom? I was I was more than pleased. Um, I think whenever you can attack a team and, and kind of have that balanced attack, it, it's big time. But I, I think the more – what I was more proud about was how our entire team played and, and how it was truly a – it was special teams, defense, and offense that truly came together and, and just had a complete game. It was definitely fun to do that. I was about to say you had a really nice complete effort. We're talking to Graham Mertz. Hey, Graham, what about Braylon Allen rushing for 173 yards and three TDs? That was his sixth straight 100-yard game. Help me with this. How do you explain a 17-year-old showing up and dominating the way he has? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing about him is just how he approaches everything. Like he's definitely, he's definitely mature for his age, and not just physically, but mentally, and just his approach. And it shows up on game day and all throughout the week, just doing doing the extra little things like a little bit more treatment, um, a little more film, just asking me a couple a couple extra questions about pass pro and um, just little things like that. So I, I think the biggest thing for him is just being mature on the the mental side too, and that that, that pays it off in, in the long run. So it's definitely been been fun for him to get out there and make some plays. Graham Mertz is joining us. You know, when you talk about the mental approach to the game, I want to ask you about this. The previous week against Rutgers, you threw an INT on the opening drive, and then you led the way to a 52-3 win. Afterwards, you yourself were talking about that interception and said, quote, you always have that moment right after where you're like, damn, I could have done this. (laughs) And then right after that, it's like, all right, what can I do to put us in a position to score? Let me ask you about that mindset. How were you able to manage to flip that switch so quickly and get right back into the process and the path? 
Yeah, I'd say like I'd have, it took me a while to learn that, and um, it's it's a lot of work in the off season, just kind of mentally prepare for stuff like that. Where all right, something doesn't go your way, um, you can either dwell on it and let, let it lead to another thing that doesn't go your way, or you can stop it right there and uh, just attack the next thing with with an open mind. So for me, it's it's definitely something that took a long time to learn. But um, I mean, I, I think the biggest thing for me is just the guys I have around me just give that a little more that boost of confidence that all right, we're gonna go out here and, and execute. I hope everybody listening is kind of putting that into practice. Like that, that would work off the field pretty well for a lot of people too. In fact, for all of us, like when things don't go your way, you got to put that behind you as quickly as possible and think about, all right, what can I do to get back on path and do something positive? 100%. You know, like, Graham, like for instance, there's always this talk. I mean, I, I can't tell you the last time I had a conversation with a coach or a player on any level where somebody did not say trust the process. And it starts to sound pretty corny, but at the same time, when you have confidence in your process and you know the work that you've put in, is going to pay off how important is it to fall back on that work that you've put in and your process when things do not go well oh i mean it's everything i mean um you go through life and uh i just kind of take a broad perspective on this but you go through life and you get you get fired <laughs> what are you what are you gonna do it's it's whatever whatever you have done leading up to that that's what you're gonna fall back on it and you're just gonna that's how you that's how you build yourself into who you want to be i mean um Everybody has that um, idea of who they want to be in three years, five years, ten years, but you can't get there without learning from each and every day and everything that you have done in the past. So I, I think I think in total that, that's big time, being able to fall back on that stuff and just grow from it. Graham Mertz is joining us. I think, Graham, you kind of have a perspective that a lot of young people don't really have. Now, part of that is because of who you are and what you do and the sort of leadership ability that you have, the things that you've learned. I think some of this is innate for you anyway. But, like, as you take a step back, when you're a quarterback at a big-time program, there's going to be a lot of times where when things are good, it's the best thing ever. And when things are not good, well, I don't want to say it's the worst thing ever, but it can be really, really challenging, especially on a campus like that. How do you approach this? Like, you've got social media. The world's very different right now. When things are not going well, you're going to get a lot of heat. What kind of discipline does it take not to reach for the phone? In fact, to put it down for a long period of time and just stay locked in. I mean, it's it's definitely hard. Um, I mean, last year we were struggling a little bit as a team, and uh, it kind of stayed that way. But, I mean, this year we started off one and three. I mean, I, w- I wasn't playing good ball. Um, it, felt like I, it felt like everything was closing in on you. And um, But I think the biggest thing is just being true to yourself and, and – true to everything that matters to you that's that's my teammates my coaches my family and just, just getting around all those people and um just knowing how how, how am i going to fight this <laughs> and then it's going in every day to practice with an open mind instead of i'm going to get one percent better today and then those one percent every day just slowly stack up and then uh i think that our team's done a great job of truly coming together after that one and three start and um saying all right we're, we're done doing this this is what we're gonna do now and um having that having that edge every single day and just like I said, just get 1% better every day. And I think that's, I think that's how you go about every single day of your life. I think it's a really powerful concept. You know, it's, and by the way, simple but not easy. I don't think that's nearly as easy as it sounds, right? Like when the walls oh, are closing in, right? <laughs> it's not, it's not just you. Like to your point, one thing, even if you could get that kind of leverage on yourself and you can plant your feet and like you're strong enough to lock it and say, man, I got this, you have to have everybody else in the locker room right on the same page, right? So how do you go about kind of disseminating that information and getting everybody also to buy in with that same approach? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, just um, the, the leaders we got in our locker room and, and our coaches, and um, 
I mean, it, it's it's the closest team I've ever been on, and uh, just the messaging. It's it's cool because it's truth, and uh, and everybody's grasping onto it. Like there's we don't have anybody that's like out of this ship at all. And I mean, I think it's a truly all in. Um, oh my guy Fergie, Jake Ferguson. He's been been screaming all we all we need is all we got, and all we got is all we need. <laughs> so uh, that's been his go to. But I, I think that's I think that's the truth about this team. I mean, everybody truly loves each other, and you see that love come out for each other every single day and then uh, on game day too. So, I mean, I, I truly think that that's, that's the reason why. Graham, how powerful is that? I mean, literally, it sounds, again, it sounds a little cheesy unless you're like in it, but when you've got a room full of guys that have a ton of pride and a ton of love and you know they're going to pick each other up and that you're going to hit the field at the same time, no matter where you are, no matter how much adversity there is, you've got each other's backs and you're pulling for each other. I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but how powerful is that? No, it's there's there's no greater power when you, when you get a group of people that are truly all in together. It's uh, it's special. It's fun. Um, I mean, this is the most fun I ever had in my life, and I think that's the same with a lot of guys on this team. So, uh, it's it's a it's a cool special thing that you just want to keep riding out. Uh, Graham Mertz is joining us. I think it's actually a really cool special place. And I've got a little bit of background. We sent. I'm a California native. I grew up in Los Angeles. I've got a son who's now a junior at the school. We built oh. a home. <laughs> yeah, right. How about this, dude? We built a home in northern Wisconsin, so we spend time there. I'm really curious. Take me back when you were in high school in Kansas. What was it about Wisconsin that made you feel like it was the right place for you? Yeah, there's a bunch of things. Um, and I, I'm gonna. I actually do have a lot of family up in Green Bay, so I spent a lot of time up in the uh, a little bit no, more north than Green Bay, but that part of Wisconsin. So um, I've been up to Wisconsin like my entire life. Um, they were like they're my second offer, um, and I came up on a visit like a couple of weeks after that offer. And truly, it was everybody always talks about that moment where it's like, all right, this is where I need to be, and this is where I like this is this is my home. And for me, it was right off the bat that, that was what I felt. So I ended up committing. Um, I thought it was a great spot for me and my family. And then uh, went through the recruiting process, got some more offers after that season. And then uh, it just every every single one, I, w- I would talk to the coaches, and it would just it would just verify that all right, this is where I need to be at Wisconsin. So um, for me, it was just an early. I jumped on it early, but it was it was a great decision, and uh, I, I loved every second of it. I love it. I love it. And one of the things I told my son too, when he he went to Madison, he fell in love with it right away as a California kid. And he had been to a lot of other schools, got into a lot of other schools. But the thing about Wisconsin, man, that Badger Mafia, Graham, it's a real thing, right? Like I've never met anybody <laughs> who went to school there who didn't think it was the best thing ever. Not one. Like there's always that one person who's like, you know what? It's not all that. Literally everybody <laughs> I've ever met loved this school. Is that the sense you yeah. get too? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, we got we got the most passionate fans in the world, and you, you wouldn't want to wouldn't want to trade it for anything else. That means uh, that means they're going to fill the stands. <laughs> so uh, it's definitely a uh, definitely a fun city to be in, and it's it's a it's a community. It's a it's a fun community. You've got so much in front of you still yet as a team too. Let me ask you this: Earlier this year, when NIL rules changed, you did get involved early on. How did that come to be? And then, what was that process like for you? Yeah, I, mean, I think the biggest thing on all that was um, my dad. He's a, he's a he's been a businessman forever, and he's he's really good at it. So he kind of had an idea that it was coming, and he wanted to jump on it early just so we were prepared for it, so I didn't have to deal with it during the season. So um, he got everything in place ahead of time, helped me out a ton, and it was, it was actually kind of cool for me because I'd never seen that side of like business, and um, so I learned a lot before the season. But now it's really haven't done a lot during the season at all, but. Um, I was just—it was nice to get ahead of it a little bit and have a plan for it. So my dad helped me out a ton. 
Got to have a plan. Last thought I said, you've got a lot still ahead of you. The team got up to kind of a tough start, and then you've turned it around. When you look at the way the offense is clicking right now, and you combine that with the fact that the defense is second in the country in points allowed, has not allowed more than 14 points in the last six games, does it feel like the team is peaking at the right time? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we, we've had the team motto, we're just going to do it again. And um, Leo Chanel got up in front of the team this week and said, all right, we've been saying let's do it again, but let's do it better. So I think this team has an edge right now that we're, we're going to do it again, we're going to do it better. And um, we're going to carry that into this week. Wisconsin, 7-3 on the year, number 18 in the college football playoff rankings, and they're at home against Nebraska Saturday. Graham, I've talked about you on the program, but I'm glad to finally get you on the program and have that conversation. I couldn't be more impressed. Great to have you. Thanks so much. Good luck this weekend. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Jamie in Green Bay, quote, you can take your shots at Mike McCarthy, but you leave us out of this because we know the dang difference. Signed, Radio Shack Guy. Signed, Radio Shack Guy. In Indiana. Larry, it's good to have you on the show. How are you? Uh, I got a little problem with what you're trying to pull on uh, America. What's that? Well, me and my cousin, we both work, work at Radio Shack. And we can tell that audio is doctored. We slowed it down. As soon as it gets to LSU part, you can tell it's split. And your producer trying to tell me that it's because it's on the radio that I can't understand it. And I don't know where you get your producers from, but at Radio Shack, we know the damn difference, Jim. You're telling me you can tell the difference, and I'm trying to pull something over on America? Am I hearing this right? Yeah, you're damn right, Jim. And if you're doing it for stick, that's one thing. Ha-ha, it's funny, but if you guys are trying to tell especially people like us that work and do this stuff and sell this equipment for a living there is no way in hell that i can't believe people would even fall for it that's what i'm trying to say and i like you jim i just i don't think it's right what you're doing i don't do shtick i don't do things for shtick i don't try to get i don't pull the wool over anybody's eyes that's just not who i am or what i'm about so you're trying to tell me that that's not a doctored audio well i'm not trying to tell you i am telling you jim i've lost some respect for you today and i'll tell you what i don't even know if i'm gonna listen to the rest of the show you know, if I'm not mistaken, that was Larry in Indiana in 2015. This guy, man, he was so earnest, wasn't he? I, I got to say, Jim, I just, I, I don't know, man. I lost some respect for you today. And I don't know if I'm going to listen to the rest of the show. Yo, man, did you just put me in timeout? Or did you put yourself in timeout? He's like, we, we pros at Radio Shack know that you're trying to pull a fast one on America. Alvin and I were talking during the break. I'm like, what's he talking about? I don't even remember. Alvin said, dude, I, I don't remember what I, quote, I don't remember what I doctored either. This guy goes, hey, man. This guy goes, it, I, I know. We, we pros at Radio Shack, me and my boy or me and my brother, we know you doctored that. brother. And if you're doing it for shtick, ha ha, fine. However, if you're not and you're trying to pull one over on America, that's not cool. Jim, and I've lost a little bit of respect for you. And I said, I didn't doctor anything. It was like the most obvious doctor job ever. And I was just selling it, and it was for shtick. Alvin doctored the hell out of something. I don't even remember what it was. And this guy's like, hey, man, hey, man, I work at Radio Shack. Left out the Atandy Corporation. Oh, you work at Radio Shack. I think actually part of the conversation was, oh, you work at Radio Shack. So you're trying to tell me that you know more about radio production than Alvin Deloro, uh, a literal Hall of Famer. He's not in the Hall of Fame, but I am. 
And if I have anything to say about it, I'm going to put his ass in too. But you, because you work at Radio Shack somewhere in the sticks, know more about production than Alvin, and you're going to call us on that. Yeah, well, we're not doctoring anything. By the way, it was like the most over-the-top doctored thing ever. Ever. Yo, bro, don't you have cordless phone batteries that you need to move? Don't you have realistic product that you sell exclusively that you need to move? I will never forget my first word processor before there were actual MacBook Pros. And I bought it on layaway at Radio Shack in Pacific Beach, a word processor. I'll never forget it. I think that was almost as absurd as me trying to sell linear messengers for 2500 bucks back in the day that word processor ran me a grand i think i'm still paying it off don't you have some rca cables to sell are there any walkie talkies that you have to move how about those little micro cassettes for the answering machines or the ones that go into the harris linear messenger and i love again that every one of their things was like the realistic brand Oh, Radio Shack guy put me in my place, didn't he, man? He backed me the hell down. Radio Shack dude shut me up, didn't he? I wish, Alvin, that we could remember what that sound was. It was so over the top. It was so clearly doctored. And this guy's like, hey, man, I'm going to call bull crap on that. Imagine he and his boy going back and forth. I just can't believe Rome's doing this. Man, that's just not responsible. That's not respectful. He's trying to pull a fast one over America. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, man. Give me one of those cordless phones over there with the big, a- the big ass antenna. Let me raise that antenna, and let me call Rome on it. I'm gonna call him on his bull crap. Give me the white one with the big antenna. Hey, Jim. Monkey butt. Psst, please. I gave my team Doctor Scholl's foot powder. Rex Ryan, man, so tired. It's so old. Please. Every, every foot. Monkey butt. Foot reset with Rex. We moved on to an actual beef not involving feet. Foot, foot. Hey, Rome, foot, foot. how many Rex Ryan really put his foot in his mouth emails have you gotten? I'm guessing north of 5,000. Everybody's putting their best foot forward. Chad from Orlando. Pretty much, Chad. Pretty much. And I'm not going there with it. Mark writes, Dear Jim, you're out of beer? Signed, the Wisconsin Geese Mafia. P.S. Don't ask how we helped this with wings. Or how we typed this with wings. I'm telling you, I've never seen. You want to talk. You want to talk entitlement. The animal with the worst attitude ever, up until now, was Cody the Ragdoll Cat. Arrogant cat, man. Arrogant, arrogant cat. And I love the cat. And the cat knows I love the cat. That's why he treats me like crap. He's mellowed out, though, as he's gotten older. The geese, though, man, they know they're smart. Ugly animals, too. Hey, Peter, don't come up in here. I love animals. I'm a big animal guy, but the geese, man, they could not respect me any less. But again, why does anybody do anything, including Canadian geese? Because they can. They know I won't do anything. And they're right. And that's why they're posted up on my property, taking dumps everywhere. 
And they've moved, man, I'm telling you, they've moved all the way up the slope. That's a hard slope to walk even for me. They've moved all the way up to the patio, and now they're banging off the glass doors because they don't know that the doors are closed because they're clear. They're glass. I found the reaction to the cut. Bravos Dave from Berea. Larry was pissed because you doctored the dictator saying that he was not taking the LSU job. Yikes. And this is the sound. This is the sound in question. I'm not going to be the LSU coach. I shouldn't even have to comment on this. I think I've said this over and over and over again. My boy, Dave. Nice job, Dave. All right, so I was hammering that one day. I was hammering that that one day. And this guy from Radio Shack's like, yo, dude, we know you doctored that. I'm like, the hell I did. Oh, no, we know. We work at Radio Shack. What, you mean this is doctored? I'm not going to be the LSU coach. I shouldn't even have to comment on this. I think I've said this over and over and over again. I bet you those dudes were like in their Radio Shack headphones listening to it over and over and over again. Playing it back, playing it back, playing it back. Nah, nah, nah. That's bull crap. What, what, you think that we manipulated this audio? I'm not going to be the LSU coach. I shouldn't even have to comment on this. I think I've said this over and over and over there, again. There it is, there it is, right there, right there. Slow it down, slow it down. Larry, Larry, slow it down, slow it down. We got him, we got him. Hey, give me that, give me that cordless phone with the big antenna. I'm going to call him out right now. I'm taking Rome down. Play it one more time. Let's be I'm sure. I'm not going to be the LSU coach. I shouldn't even have to comment on this. I think I've said this over and over and over again. And never mind that it was like one of the most famous statements ever. I'm not going to be the Alabama head coach. Never mind the change in the sound. I'm not going to be the LSU head coach. I'm not going to be the LSU coach. I shouldn't even have to comment on this. I think I've said this over and over. Busted. Got me, Radio Shack guy. Congrats. Let's go to Paul's dog. Yo, Paul's dog, what's up? Roll over him, Clones, I've been wondering who I am. Well, I can tell you who I am not. Jeff Rinselfield. I like American cheese. Even though Paul tries to wrap my worm pill up in a slice. Roll this trick in the book, Paul. Or I'll just spit it out later. Keep trying, weakling. <laughs> I'm also a big fan of the Fonz. Hey. Biggest mistake he ever made was listening to Plotsy when jumping that shark. <laughs> Sharks are scary. But Fonzie was good friends with Mork for Mork. Nanu, Nanu, Shazbot. Hmm. Remember that classic jungle feud between Mork in Hollywood and Mike and Mindy? Neither do I. So, who am I? That's easy. Ron Paul's dog. And you're not. I'm a maid pooch. Thirty pieces of kibble. Roar. Trapper. Puppies like us. Rough me. Rum route. Do what he said, Alvy. Rack him. him. He's right. Pretty pieces of kibble. With a tribute to Trapper at the very end of that. Good night now!